Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River. Anyway, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Don't forget we're in a season of harvest. Season of harvest. That will not switch until uh, December 31st. So midnight, January 1st. And the Lord said we will enter a season of discipleship. So keep inviting. Keep inviting. Keep inviting. Keep inviting. We're supposed to be bringing people in. The Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Somebody say the armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he's got some. For we wrestle not, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities powers rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you oh did I reread this twice did I copy paste it twice oh it just says okay wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand do everything you can to stand hang on Stay in the Word. Stay with your family. Having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Now listen to these different pieces of armor. And our ladies just went through uh, this armor of God study. Having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And again, he's got some. And take the helmet of salvation. Somebody say the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Pray with me. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this word. I need your help completely to preach it take over in my mind in my mouth in my thoughts and words and help me help me to deliver your heart to the heart of the people do the preaching and we'll give you all the glory and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen so Real quick, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a helmet protecting your head. You soldiers, here we're talking about armor. Soldiers wear a helmet to go into battle. Uh, if you're involved in some kind of a, of a sport, whether it's football, or if you were out riding motorcycles or whatever the case, we have to protect our head. We have to protect our head. And so we put a helmet on our head to stop that which is outside 
from getting inside. To keep that which should not, we don't want, if we, if we, if we wipe out on a motorcycle, we don't want the road to get to our head. We put the helmet on to keep outside things out, to keep inside ends safe, to keep them protected and where they should be. And together, we all said a moment ago, the helmet of salvation. How many of you, in some point in your life, you have received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You have accepted him into your life. You've placed faith in the fact that he is the Son of God, that he left heaven for you, that he came to earth for you, that he died on a cross for you, and three days later he got up for you. That is a powerful thing to know. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It is a powerful thing to know that you have been forgiven. It is a powerful thing to know you have been washed clean, a powerful thing to know you have been redeemed, purchased back, a powerful thing to know you've been delivered. And beyond all that, it is a powerful thing to know that the God of the universe lives in you, that God, that he wants to, first of all, that God wants to live inside of us and that God is living in you and through you. He came not only to forgive, but he came to fill us with life. Forgiveness forgiveness happens instantly. It happens all at once. The moment we get saved, we are completely forgiven. We don't have to redo and redo and redo. We have been washed clean. And so the point of the point of living, the point of the life God has given us, the point is not to get forgiven. Getting forgiven is to lead you to the point which is to live the abundant life that Jesus paid for, full of his spirit, full of his joy, full of his peace in impacting this world. And so we wear that helmet to protect that which we know, the helmet of salvation. We wear that helmet. We, we have things we know about salvation that are supposed to protect us from what the outside would try to say. We try to keep that outside and keep this safe inside. All right, so with that in mind, I want to tell you today, there is never a time when the enemy of our soul, and he's real, he is real. There is a real spirit world all around us. Uh, if we don't believe in the devil, then we shouldn't believe in any of what we believe in because the same Bible that told us all the rest tells us that there is a spirit world all around us. There is never a time when the enemy is not coming against those that are actively doing something for the Lord. There is never a time when the enemy of your soul is not coming against those that are actively doing something for the Lord. The enemy is always either attacking or planning. Attacking or planning. When Jesus dealt with the enemy in his fast in the wilderness, and the enemy comes and tempts him, and Jesus defeats him with the word, the next thing the Bible says is that the enemy 
departed from him until a more opportune time. The enemy did not say, well, that didn't work, so I'll just give up. I won't mess with him anymore. No, the enemy said, that didn't work, so I'm going to try to find what will work. I'm going to go away. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to strategize. I'm going to plan. I'm going to sit back and watch. I'm going to look for weaknesses. I'm going to look for vulnerabilities. I'm going to look for what buttons to push. He's always attacking or planning, but there's never a time when the enemy is not coming against those that are actively doing something for the Lord. And so let me say to you that if you are under attack, can I get a witness? If you are under attack, congratulations. Good for you. Count it all joy when diverse temptations and tribulations come against you. If you are under attack, congratulations, because thieves don't try to rob empty houses. Nobody holds up a bag, lady. Thieves don't target empty houses. Thieves target the job that will give them the most return for their investment. Thieves target the thing that will get them the most for their time, for their effort, for their risk of getting in trouble. They want to knock something that's got a few dollars sitting in the cash register or maybe a bank. If somebody's trying to steal, they're going to steal from the one with the most value. So I want to say to you, if the enemy is trying to hold you up, apparently you have some stuff. Come on and help me this morning. If the enemy is working against you, it's because you have something. If you didn't have anything, he wouldn't mess with you. He would not waste his time on you. So you cannot keep complaining about being under attack and at the same time struggling with believing that God can't use you. Because the fact that you're under attack is evidence that God is using you. So if you are under attack, then at least settle the struggle that you can't be used and say, God is trying to do something great with my life because hell is trying to stop me. Know that you have value. Know that you have stuff. If God isn't trying to do something with you, you would not be under attack. There wouldn't be a reason for the devil to waste his time on you. The devil doesn't use his time for no return. He's not like you. Come on, somebody. 
We give up our time for anything. We give up hours and hours just to be on Facebook. We give up time for gossip. We give up time and energy on wasting money. And our waste of time is actually the enemy making good use of his time because he's keeping you from your purpose. The devil, oh, if we would manage our time like the devil manages his time, if we would be diligent like the devil is diligent, if we would not give up like the devil doesn't give up, if we would be patient like the devil is patient, my God. But if you recognize today that you are under attack, good for you. Good for you that you're under attack. So stand up and do something with it. You are worth something. You have tremendous value. God has a plan for you. God is at work in your life. The devil only attacks what he sees God working on. The devil only attacks where the devil knows what the work of the Holy Spirit looks like. He knows the real deal. He recognizes it. And the enemy only targets the moving of the Holy Spirit. You are worth something. And God wants to do something with you in your life. The scripture says to put on the armor. Put on the armor. We are in a battle. We have been given armor but this says we have to put it on. We have to put on. We have to apply it. We have to apply it. Knowledge does nothing for you if it's not applied. Information does nothing until it steps into being wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. There are people that hold all kinds of wise facts that are not wise because they're not doing anything with it. It is not until you take the information that you have and you start using it and applying it and walking in it. That is when you are a wise person using what you know. Some people just sit around with a lot of facts. Some people just sit around with a lot of information, but they live defeated. But we have been given armor and we're supposed to put it on. Now today, we want to look at verse 17, Ephesians 6 and 17, the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. It is the head protection that comes with being saved. Have you ever talked to unbelievers and they don't make sense? Have you ever noticed watching the news and you listen to the other side, and you think, that doesn't even make logical sense. You sit and listen to their debates, and you listen to their reasoning, and you say to yourself, even if this was not, even if I wasn't a Christian, this just looks like it should be plain old common sense. It is because the lost, their, their brains are not firing on all pistons. 
they are living under the leadership, the Bible says, of their father, the devil. How many know before we came to the Lord, we did not belong to the Lord? Amen. We were a child of this world. We were a child of this world. The Bible says that the things of the foolish, uh, that the things of the Lord are foolish to the unbeliever. These things that we talk about, these don't, this doesn't make sense to the world. And so we have a helmet. When we get saved, when we get that knowledge, when we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, suddenly we begin to see things differently. We see the world differently. We have different desires. We have different ambitions. And suddenly there is a veil that is pulled back, and we see things that we never saw them before. We say, oh, my God, how did I miss this? This is clearly the enemy at work. It's amazing how that happens. There is a head protection that comes with salvation. The knowledge we have about salvation protects our minds. The things we know about salvation, the things we know about the need for salvation, the things we know about how Jesus paid for salvation, the things we know about how we receive salvation, the things we know about our state of being, all of the knowledge of salvation is intended to protect your mind. But too many times we get the salvation, but we never put the helmet on. There are so many people that they heard a gospel message. There are so many people that realized they needed to be saved. They came and they asked Jesus to forgive them, and he did. They asked him to come into their life, and he did. But from that moment on, they never get to know him. They don't spend any time in his word. They don't get on their face and lay their burdens before him. They don't take their decisions and their choices and ask God for his supernatural wisdom. They don't pray over their kids. They don't pray over their house. They don't pray going into school or into work, and then they wonder why they've got all these problems. They say, shouldn't God have taken care of this? And he said, you should have put on the helmet of salvation. You should have learned of me, and you should have applied this. It is the head protection that comes with salvation. The knowledge about salvation protects your mind. What we know, everybody say what we know. Now see, what you know is different than what you feel. Have you ever known something, your feelings challenged what you knew, but you decided to stick with what you knew instead of what you felt? I'll give you, for instance, if you know somebody really well, and then somebody makes up a story about them, and it, cha- and it, seems, it seems legit, so it challenges your feelings. You say, oh, no. But then something rises up and says, wait a minute. I've got to consider the source, and I've got to consider that I do not know the context of this situation. I do not have to believe everything that I feel. I don't have to believe everything that I hear. I know something about that person. I know something about that situation. I am going to reject what I have thought and stick with what I know. Well, the Bible has given us all kinds of things to know. 
the Bible has given us loads of facts that we can know about Jesus and to know about who we are in Christ. And when the devil starts picking on me for my failures, I don't mean long time ago failures. I mean right now failures. I mean the stuff I wish didn't pop into my head and that that I wish didn't come from my head out of my mouth. Come on. Am I talking to anybody? I start feeling like Chris. And so... I'm talking about current failures. So I do something stupid. I think something stupid. I say something stupid. I say something hurtful to somebody. You get in a situation and you, you don't do the best thing that you should have done. And the first one that shows up is the enemy of your soul to say, you're not saved. You're not forgiven. You're not redeemed. You've got no business on that platform. You got no business doing anything for God. And so all of a sudden I say, oh, man, I mean, that's, that's right. That's right. I don't really have any business doing this, and you don't have any business doing what you're doing either. And I, and I, I really did blow it. Yeah, I really did say something hurtful. Oh, my God. And then, and then the devil starts quoting Bible verses because he knows all of them. And he starts pulling, he won't quote like a chapter. He'll pull one from over here, and he pull one from over here, and he pull one from over here. And he starts pulling, and you're like, oh, my God, that is what the Bible says. But then something rises up inside, and you say, wait a minute. I know something about the context of this situation, and my salvation is by grace and not of works, lest any man should boast. I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not saved by what I do. I'm I'm saved by what he done, and I'm covered, 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 covered by the blood. Give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. I have something that I know to resist that which I feel. I've got facts. I've got facts to dispute the lies and the false accusations that the enemy of my soul, you know, he's the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of the lost. The devil doesn't have to go around accusing the lost. He would be absolutely right about them. It's the saved people he comes telling. If the devil tells you you're not saved, probably a pretty good indication that you're on your way to heaven. Because he's accusing the brethren. This knowledge about salvation, what we know is true about salvation, keeps us from thinking those, th keeps us from the things we're thinking that are not true. Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe, you don't believe everything that everybody else thinks. Why would you believe everything you think? And you know you're crazy. Better than anybody else knows. Why would you believe you? Hallelujah. Don't believe what you think. Don't believe everything that you feel. So thank God that we have been given some things we can know so that we don't have to be tossed out whenever our feelings and our thoughts are challenged. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 10 and 5. Casting down imaginations. Don't let your imagination run wild. 
You tell your kids that when they say there's a monster in the closet. You tell your kids that when the shadow on the wall, come on, they say it's something. You say, don't let your imagination run wild. And then you turn around and walk into your adult world in your grown-up brain, and you start letting your imagination run wild and believing every lie that the enemy throws at you instead of standing on the B-I-B-L-E, but that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You've got to stand on the promises. You've got to stand on the word no matter what. So thank God we've been given these things. Casting down imaginations. And we cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Anything that tries to exalt itself against God's knowledge, we can cast it down with the helmet of salvation. We can take that head protection, that mind protection, what we know about salvation. We can put that on and cast down the things that exalt themselves against that knowledge. And we bring it into captivity. Every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you have a thought that is disobeying the truth, you cast the thought down and you bring the thought into agreement with God. You believe God instead of yourself. Is this helping anybody today? So what are some of these things that we know? I'll tell you a big one. The enemy does almost everything through people. Almost everything the enemy does, he does through people. Now, saying that means he has to influence the people somehow, and we know he's the accuser of, of the brethren. We know he is a liar and the father of lies, and we know that he is a spirit, and, and really probably untold millions of, of spirits. You know, the devil, there's just one that's the devil, but there are demons everywhere. So the devil whispers. The devil tries to influence thoughts. He suggests things that aren't true. Those that believe him, he's now working through. The devil tells people things that are not true. And if they listen to him, they are now cooperating with him. Now the world is already under his voice. They're <laughs> they are cooperating, cooperating with him. But he lies to you. He lies to you. Now, here's where we have to be very careful. If the devil almost works exclusively through people, we have to start remembering that when people come against us, might not be the people. If we can sit in this house on Sunday and say the devil works through people, we can't leave here and start hating people. Because we have to consider what is behind the person instead of the person themselves. You know, with, uh, with my magic shows that I go and do, I am in a lot of um, memory care units. I do a lot of retired uh, 
communities and stuff too, but I'm in some skilled nursing and in some memory care units. And it's amazing because the people in these units suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia and these kind of things, they respond incredibly well when I go in and I do a magic trick show. It's amazing. It's like it bypasses something. And for a few minutes, they are there. Several years ago, I was at St. Joe Manor across from the pond. And I was in the Alzheimer's unit. And in that show, there was a portion of that show where I have these, uh, these beautiful feather plumes. They're like fancy feather dusters, you know. But they're pretty. They're different colors. Anyway, so there, you know, there's a red one. And I wrap up a piece of newspaper, and I drop it in the newspaper. I drop it through the tube that I made. And when I pull it out, it's a different color. It's pretty. And that's the whole point of it. It's very visual. It's very pretty. It's a good magic trick. And so I'm, I'm dropping it through, and it keeps changing color. And they're watching. And the song that I was using, because I tried to use music that they know. And I was using... Uh, Billy Holiday's version of Dream a Little Dream of Me. That is a good one, isn't it? So I had it timed where when the trick is over, there's quite a bit of song still left. And so I pretend that my timing is off and, uh, oh, the song's still going, you know. And I walk out. And I'll, I will find a, a lady, one of the elderly ladies in the audience, and I'll say, may I have this dance? And I don't know, right? right everybody say, aw. Yeah, I'm, I'm sweet. So anyway, I say, may I have this dance? And then I'll dance with one of these ladies. So I'm in the memory care unit. And there's a lot of strange things happening in the memory care unit, to be quite honest. So I get to that part, and there's one lady, and she's been very unengaged and just kind of not, not really there, you know? Um, and I go around, I said, may I have this dance? And she looked up, and she jumped to her feet. And I took it as a yes, you know, that she would dance. And I said, uh, I don't know how to dance, so you'll have to lead. And this little lady grabbed a hold of me. And I don't know anything about dancing other than watching my kids because they know dance. But this lady grabbed me, and she snaps into really perfect posture like, like she's really going to do something, you know. And we took off <laughs> dancing. And the workers around the room begin to cry. And so at the end of the show... They came over to me, and I don't remember the lady's name. I've, I've been just saying Carol. They came over, and they said, uh, they said, you know Carol. And I said, I'm sorry? They said, Carol, you know her? I'm, so, I, I'm, I'm not sure what you're, what you're asking. I said, I don't know a Carol. And they said, the lady that you danced with earlier. I said, oh. I said, no. I said, I, I don't know her. I said, I just pick somebody randomly. And they all looked at each other. They said, Carol was a professional ballroom dancer. They said, we've never seen anything like this. They said, when you asked her, may I have this dance, she came back. <laughs> so 
for several minutes, she was back. Now, that was a very, that was a very beautiful thing. Working in those Alzheimer's units is not always so beautiful. And the caregivers there have a very, very hard job. Many times, the patients act out even violently toward the caregivers. It, it's not really the patient. You understand. It's not really the patient. It's what's going on inside, and the patient is not even aware of it. And so the patient acts out of what's going on inside aggressively toward the caregiver, but the caregiver doesn't get mad <laughs> at the patient because the caregiver already has knowledge protecting them about the situation. And so they go in with their eyes open knowing it's not the person. So instead of reacting back at the person for what was inside of the person, they refuse that urge and the emotions that would go with it, and they go ahead and do what's best for the person because they know, can I tell you something today? When you leave this building and you go back into the workplace, it's a spiritual memory unit. It's an Alzheimer's unit. They don't understand what's operating on the inside of them. So when they come at you, you can't come back at them the same way. You've got inside information. You know something about what's happening that they are unaware of what is happening. So when they come at you with evil, you come back with love because that's what the helmet of salvation does. That's what it does. When people come against you, they're not actually coming against you. It's what's on the inside of them coming against what's on the inside of you. When the world lashes out at us, we don't lash out at the people. Think about it. When the world lashes out at us, we're not supposed to lash out at the people. We are supposed to remember what's going on inside and do what's actually best to be a good witness for Jesus' name, to bring him glory, and to win that person. The hardest person in your life, the one you've tried to pray away, they're still there because you're supposed to be ministering to them. If God hasn't delivered you from the situation, he's trying to deliver them. If he hasn't delivered you, Lala, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ashley, I'm sorry. If he hasn't delivered you from the situation, he's trying to deliver them. Now, they have free will. We don't know what they'll do with it. So hopefully you don't have to work in the Alzheimer's unit forever. But while we are there, while we are there, we have to do what's actually best. So you remember the verse we just read about taking our own thoughts captive, arresting them, casting them down when they challenge knowledge of God, bringing them into obedience? 
Do you know what it said right before that? 2 Corinthians 10, 3, and 4. I gave you five, but here's three and four. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down. Somebody ought to lose their mind right now of strongholds. They might not be carnal. Maybe I can't come at you the same way you came at me, but what I've got, come on, my dad is bigger than your dad. I don't have to respond to you like you responded to me. I don't have to lash out at you like you lashed out at me. I've got something different on the inside. I've got a peace that passes all understanding. I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. I've got the fruit of the Spirit. I've got the gifts of the Holy Ghost. I've got a fire burning on the inside of me. I don't have to react to you the same way that you came at me. I'm responding to you with Jesus. We have to quit responding carnally to spiritual situations. We must quit responding carnally to spiritual situations. We're getting heated and acting crazy, and not even recognizing that what's going on is an attack of the enemy. And here we're trying to deal on a human level. We're making it about us and them, and missing the big picture that we come in here every week and hear about. We have to grow up and realize what this battle is. We start arguing with a human being and saying hurtful things. And then we don't even address the one that actually did it. We attack the person that's unaware of what's going on. And we don't address the devil who's trying to take us out and them. We have to learn what this battle is. Romans 8 and 6. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Christians have got to get to the place where we know the word carnal doesn't mean sin. Carnal doesn't mean sin. Carnal means handle it our own way. Carnal means non-spiritual. We do carnal things every day that there's nothing wrong with. I'm carnally standing on this platform. I am wearing carnal clothes. Please don't strip off all carnality. (laughs) You know, this is not spiritual. We we live in a physical world that a lot of things have, they're not spiritual. But we have to live spiritually. If you're thinking carnally, it's death. You will handle every situation wrong. There are so many carnal Christians. They love Jesus. They are on their way to heaven, but they're still carnal. They They handle everything earthly. They handle everything naturally instead of supernaturally. They trust self instead of trusting the Holy Spirit. To live carnally is simply to live without leaning on the Holy Spirit. If you do not live your life leaning on the Holy Spirit, 
you are a carnal Christian and you are sowing destruction to yourself and to your family and to everybody that you encounter, you're probably not looking much like Jesus. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Quit fighting the enemy with earthly intellect. Quit arguing with demonic strategy. Quit exhausting your humanly strength on a heavenly fight. Know your enemy. Know your armor. And take your mind back. Get your mind back. Get your peace back. Get your joy back. Those are your thoughts. They don't belong to him. They don't belong to the world. They belong to you and they belong to the Lord. Take your mind back. The devil has it easy with so many of us. Because it doesn't take anything to rile you up. You go off just like that. The devil doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is offer you literally any drama at all. And you take it. And you take it. He offers you any drama. He offers you any distraction. And you lay down all the stuff you're supposed to be getting done. And instead, you do what he says you're going to do with your day. You do what he says you're supposed to do with your emotions. You will give up your whole day just because a lost person behaved like a lost person. I can't, but do you see what they said to me? Yeah, they're a sinner. <laughs> like that's only because they were talking to you yesterday and to somebody else. You are going to give up your day because they're going to be like themselves? You're going to give up your energy? You're going to give up your peace because they're acting like they always have acted and like they always will act with their own free will? You're going to give up your peace because they are acting just like you acted before you came to Jesus? How you like me now? You're going to give up your peace. You're going to give up your joy because the world's acting like the world. The world is always going to behave like the world. Spoiler alert. They're always going to be that way. And listen. You are not going to escape until we leave. We are in the world, but not of the world. We don't get called to some Christian utopia, some compounded community. They've tried this. Never ends up well. They call them into a compound. They say, oh, it's going to be all Christians. We'll deal with it. We'll buy and sell from Christians. We'll be around. We won't have to deal with the world. While Jesus says, behold, I have sent you out like sheep amongst wolves. He says, you are in the world, but not of the world. We're called to be out in the world. Why? How else are, how is anybody going to meet Jesus? And how are they going to meet Jesus even if you are there, with your stank attitude. If they throw it at you and you act the same way back, what do you have that they need? Why, why did that? Yeah, you didn't listen to the question, Summer. 
If you react to them the same way they acted to you, why do they want what you have? But Paul said to the church at, at Philippi, he said, let your moderation Calm, cool, collected. He said, let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We are supposed to be the ones that they see us not responding how we maybe should respond. They say, why doesn't that rattle you? I don't mean you're faking everybody out. And you, I mean, we have emotions. I'm not talking about you never make a mistake or you pretend that we're somehow perfect. I'm not talking about that at all. But people are paying attention to pattern and direction, and they need to see a difference. So the world is always going to behave like the world. But I got this salvation helmet. I've got this helmet of salvation to protect my thoughts. I know what's really going on, so I keep my peace. And you also might want to consider some new folks to surround yourself with in your off time that don't keep up all the mess. Because while you are called to some people and you can't change it, other people you're just running after. There are people that are totally destroying you, and they have no interest in what you're saying and what you're doing, and bad company corrupts good morals, and that is Bible. So be careful what you voluntarily go out and surround yourself with. There's a difference between what you're called to and what you call on. Hallelujah. Second Chronicles 20:15. I close with this. Uh, the children of God were in a battle at the time. And he said, "Hearken ye all Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you: Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours." but God's. However you're led, Vince. You may feel like you're totally surrounded. You may feel like a multitude is against you. You may feel like you can't stand up against it anymore. Well, maybe it's because you're the one that's been fighting. Maybe it's because you're using your own energy Maybe it's because you're using every moment trying to figure out how to win it instead of just letting go and saying, I can't figure this out, but this is where I am right now in my life. I'm going to rest. I'm going to go where I have to go every day. I'm going to be nice to everyone. They can do what they want to do. You know, Jesus said, as much as is possible with you, do the things that make for peace. He didn't say you'd be able to make peace, but he said, as much as is possible. So I'm going to... I'm going to go where I got to go. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be Jesus to people, and I'm going to rest. And whatever you do with that, I'm letting go of responsibility. Because it is not up to me what you do with it. It's only up to me to live it. One of the greatest times in my life came to me. One of the greatest times in ministry came to me, I don't know, five years ago, when the Lord told me it was not my responsibility that anyone get saved. It was not my responsibility that anybody follow the Lord. 
You see, if I preached something and people didn't respond, it tore me up. If I preached something and people didn't change, oh, it just weighed on me. I started thinking about the prophet Jeremiah. God told him, go and preach to this people. Tell them to repent. And God told him, they're not going to, but go anyway. He said, and then when they reject it and they don't, he said, go back and tell them again. He said, and they're not going to. He said, so then go back and tell them again, and they're not going to. And by the way, Jeremiah, the ones I've called you to, they're never going to. I know the end of these people. They're not going to choose me. Was Jeremiah's ministry a success? Yes. He said yes. He did what God told him to do. His responsibility was not that any of them were saved. His responsibility was not that any of them were changed. His responsibility was to live what he knew was right and to say what God told him to say. Give people Jesus and give people to Jesus. And then let go. And then you can be happy. You can have joy. You can have peace because your feeling is not contingent on what they do. That is not your job. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It is only your job that you live it and you say it. That's all you got to do. So make your mind up. I'm not going to let this tax me any longer because I'm not responsible for them. It's kind of like when your kid tells you about somebody else's kid that's acting up. And you say, baby, they're not mine. Their mom's going to have to deal with that. Do you remember when the word of God said, why do you judge another master's servant? Baby, <laughs> they're not your responsibility. You're going to have to let their parent take care of that. So today, let go of the responsibility and be joy-filled and be peace-filled and start reacting spiritually, not carnally. This battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Would you give him a hand clap of praise? Stand with us this morning. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother DJ, I, I've never received Jesus as Savior. I'm part of that group that you were talking about. I haven't accepted him. I've never placed my faith in him. I, I guess I still, I still belong to the world, but I want to know him. Friend, Jesus loves you so much. He could not love you anymore because he already loves you perfectly. Long before you come to him, he loves you. While we were yet sinners, God commended his love toward us in that Christ came and died for us. That's what the Bible says about you. The Bible says he loves you right now. He loves you right where you are, just how you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. If you have never accepted Jesus as Savior, he came. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross in your place so that you would not have to pay for your own sin with eternal death. With eternal death. Jesus said that if you are born again, you will live eternally. 
But he says, if you're not, you will perish eternally. Eternal death. Complete separation from God. Dead, dead, forever. Forever. But if you receive Jesus, life comes in. And you will live with him forever. And your life with him does not start when you leave this planet. Your life with him starts the moment you put faith in him. He puts that life, the kingdom of heaven gets down on the inside of you. You are in Christ and he is in you. You've been baptized into the person of Christ. His Holy Spirit, his resurrection power is flowing inside of you, living water. And it flows in you and it flows out of you. You can be forgiven today. You can have the whole slate wiped clean. You can be forgiven past, present, and future. God doesn't just forgive you and say, oh, okay, I forgive you up the day you prayed. No, God is eternal. He is eternal. When you get saved, you are placed inside of the one who is forgiveness. And he's in you. And you're safe. You're not just saved. You're safe. If you've never accepted him, but you want to, Please step out of your seat right now and come and meet me. Now, this floor isn't anything special down here. This floor can't save you better than that floor can save you. You could get saved anywhere. You could receive Jesus anywhere. But right now you're here, so let's do it here. You're already here. Why not here? Why not now? I would love the honor of praying with you as you put faith in Jesus. If that's you, would you come? Is there even one here that says, I want to be saved? Come and stand with me. Anybody at all? For those of you watching at home, you don't have to be in this building. Jesus loves you, and you can receive him right where you are. So wherever you are and, and whatever you're in the middle of, wherever we're coming to you today, not just on the map, but in your life. I don't know where you're at in your life. You may, you may be watching this. You might have a needle in your arm watching this. Jesus loves you. He is not scared off by whatever you've been part of. He is not afraid of your struggle. He loves you right where you are. And he died for that very thing. He put nails in his arm for the needle in yours. And he loves you wherever you're at today. Or maybe you're just sitting at home watching. Or maybe you're listening while you drive. Call out to him and just simply say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, but I know you love me. Jesus, I know you died for me, and I know you're alive again. Jesus, come in. I offer you myself in your name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you please click the message button and let us know? It would mean the world to us to let us know that where you are, you receive Jesus today. And I got a free book I want to send you to help you get started in your walk with the Lord. It's got nothing to do with this church. It has everything to do with giving you some suggested Bible reading to help you with praying, all those sorts of things. So just send me your address. I'll send you the book. Praise the Lord. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.